first and foremost, a big yeshikoyach to the Sheldon family. On a Thursday night, not everybody is prepared to host the shir in their home. And the fact that a husband and wife are in, in agreement and having such a thing happen, Shem should help that the, the learning should bring bracha and simcha and hatzlacha to the family, to the neighbors and friends, to everybody. Yeah. The topic we're going to speak about is holy, healthy eating, based on Rabbi Nachman's teachings. What we're going to be saying is coming from quite a, a variety of sources. Sometimes we'll quote the sources, so if you want to look into it further, you can. And other times, you'll hear both Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Nelson stress that Hashem created a huge, huge world. Not just the world, but worlds. And everything that he created, of all the different things that he created, nothing is competing with human beings. All the angels, among the angels, there's levels. There's not one type of angels. There's srofim, chayoi, soifanim, levels upon levels. And even the Gemara in Chagiga gives us a little bit of an insight as to how vast the differences are between angels on one level. The, the toe of the angel on a higher level is thousands of times greater than the, the whole angel below him, you know, and so on and so forth. And in this world, Hashem created four levels, inanimate objects, stones. There are rocks, stones that are worth tens of millions of dollars, you know, right? Diamonds, different kinds of expensive stones. And there are plants, all kinds of extraordinary plants. And then there are animals. And the highest level of creation is man. And the most significant, the purpose of the entire creation is man. Why? What makes us the most special thing in existence of everything that Hashem created? The fact that we have something that nothing else has. We have Bechira. We have free choice. We have the ability to comply with the will of Hashem. And we have the ability to go against the will of Hashem. We are the only ones in the an angel can't do that. An animal can't do that. A snake cannot bite unless it's given a direct command by Hashem. And the human being can bite going against the will of Hashem. And this is what puts us in a position to show a level of respect for Hashem, to crown Hashem more so than anything else in the world. Because if a person walks into a room with a submachine gun and says, everyone here is in agreement that I'm king, right? I'm king, I'm the ruler, I'm the best in everything. And everybody shake, yes, 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 of course. We know it's a joke. King nothing. Put away the gun, we'll see who's, who's, who's accepting your authority and who isn't. So when people don't have the option of accepting or rejecting someone's authority, he's not really king all the dictatorism, and all these, we see what happens very often. One minute he's on top and the next minute they hang him, they do all kinds of things as, as we've seen throughout history. So, so therefore, it's only we human beings who have this free choice. When a human being chooses to seek out Hashem, to, to find out, to study about Hashem, and to study why did Hashem create us? What, what is our mission? What does He want us to do? What He doesn't want us to do? And works, tries to put in the effort to work against the, the forces that oppose us, the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, and all the different obstacles that a person has in this world from coming close to Hashem. When a person does that, that's what really glorifies Hashem. That's what really crowns Hashem. And the most important aspect of that is the fact that we are a unique combination of two complete opposites, a soul, a neshama, a nefesh, different terms that are used to refer to the soul, which is spiritual, which has nothing to do with food, sleep, air, nothing physical about it at all. It's on a much higher spiritual level than angels who don't even have a body. A Jewish soul is on a much higher level. Rabbi Nachman writes this in the beginning of chapter 24 in Likud Imran, quoting all this form, and made up of a body which is made from 
earth, earth, dirt, the lowest, lowest in the four elements of creation, fire, water, air, and offer, dirt, the human body is comprised of, it's made from offer, offer meno adamo, right? Adam, a person who's called, man is called Adam to remind us that we come from Adama, from earth, from ground. And Hashem did the most incredible thing in the world to marry these two together, to put together a soul, the highest, most spiritual item in existence other than Hashem, Kaviachol, and a body, the lowest, among the lowest forms in creation, to marry them together. And it's only by both of them being able to operate together that we have the ability to perform mitzvahs, to serve Hashem. It's only the combination of these two. What unites these two? Food. Food. A person eats, it, it sustains the body and it sustains the soul and they stay happily married <clears throat> and the person can do mitzvahs commit sins. Either way, go in either direction. A person stops eating and stops drinking for a certain length of time, it's the end. So food is pretty important. It's pretty important. The Torah begins with food. The first instruction that Hashem gave to man, everyone agrees, is what to eat, what not to eat. That there's a tree of life, there's many trees here. All of them are available to you. There's one tree. Stay away. The day that you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Food is life. We just said before, food is life. A person eats in order to live, in order to, to get energy to be able. And there are foods that can kill. We know there's poisonous foods, there's foods that are damaged to make a person sick or to actually kill a person. A person can die from eating certain things, making certain mistakes. Interesting to note, the famous Rambam who says that eating a little bit of unhealthy food can do less harm and less damage to the person than overeating healthy food. That's a clear statement in the Rambam, and, and it's, no one debates it. No one disagrees with that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that also in our discussions. So we see that, again, the Torah began with this. And in terms of everything important in Judaism is associated with food. Shabbos, Yantif, a bris milah, a wedding. A on a Gemara, every meaningful celebration, everything important in Judaism is associated with food, goes together with food. And at the same time, we just showed that the destruction, the fact originally Hashem's intent originally when he created man was to live. There was no need to die. There was no need to experience death because Adam and Chava partook from what they weren't supposed to. Now it became impossible for a human being with very rare exceptions to be able to reach the the peak of connection to Hashem without first experiencing death having to die having to return the body having to return to earth to its original state disintegrate completely and then the soul is able to rise up and make this deep permanent high level connection to Hashem so we see that food can go either way, either way. The Gemara says in Brachas that during the time of the Beis Hamikdash, we see Kaviochel, Hashem makes it appear as if he eats, even though we know that angels and certainly Hashem, there's no concept of eating, but the term that's used regarding the Beis Hamikdash, the holy temple, where sacrifices were brought, was that in this manner we're Kaviochel, it's as if we're feeding Hashem, these sacrifices, the aroma of Ishei Reach Nichoyach Lashem. Today we don't have a base Hamikdash. The Gemara says, is there a substitute? Is there something today that we can do that can act as, as if we brought sacrifices on the altar, on the Mizbech and the base Hamikdash? The Gemara says, yes. Shulchanoi Shaladam, a person's table, Mechaper Kamizbeach. 
has the ability to atone and forgive sins the same way the Mizbeach did it in the Beis HaMikdash. When? If a person eats properly, if a person eats correctly, if a person eats kosher, if a person eats healthy, if a person eats bikdusha with holiness. One of the most important foods in existence, wine, wine, a drink. There are different opinions in the Gemara, in the Medrash, regarding the Eitz Hadas, what the Eitz Hadas was. One of the opinions is Sochata Anovim, that Chava squeezed grapes and gave that to Odomarishan to drink. It was grapes. And wine is the only food in existence that has its own bracha. Borei Pri Hagefen. Fruits, other things, Borei Pri covers all different kinds of foods. Wine is unique that this item is in a class of its own that has its own bracha. Wine can go, can, can reach the, the highest places and it can take a person to the lowest places. <laughs> the Gemara says wine is called tirosh. Tirosh is one of the words, one of the names of, of wine. And the Gemara says it can be teheirosh. It can take a person to the top, to the head, to the head of the class, to the, it can expand a person's consciousness. And this is why we bring in the Shabbos. The Gemara says that a Jew who observes Shabbos gets an additional soul, an neshama yaseira, a nefesh yaseira on Shabbos. How do we how do we bring that upon? Where, where is this neshama? Is it in my toes? Is it in my fingers? Where is it? When we put on tefillin in the morning, we say shahaneshama shebamoichi imshar chushav the neshama which is in my brain. The das, the intelligence of a person, that's the essence of a neshama. <coughs> so on Shabbos, we get an additional neshama, which means we get additional brain power. In order to make that happen, we make kiddush on Friday night on wine. There are people that can't drink wine for whatever reason. person is permitted to use grape juice, but the wording in the Torah is preferably wine. Wine for kiddush, wine for havdolah wine to bring in the Shabbos, wine to, to, to accompany, to lead the Shabbos queen out. Because this item is so holy and so big and so dangerous, it can go either way. Just like we have this Bechira, we can go to the highest places and we can go to the lowest places. Wine can take a person to very high place, expanded consciousness, and, and wine can can cause a person to lose consciousness or to go into state of confusion where the Gemara says everything becomes permissible. The person, it unlocks the tongue of the person. The person says things they shouldn't say and the person does things they shouldn't do. The worst sins, chas Anger, profanity, adultery, all of these things. Wine is a is a sliding pond that can slide a person straight into, glide a person right into all of these sins. As the Gemara points out, as the Torah points out, that in the second parsha of the Torah, we're told that there was an individual, Eile toldois noyach, noyach ish tzadik, tonem hoyu bedoiroisof, esholikimis halich noyach. That's saying a lot about a person in one sentence, pretty big. And the Torah says he drank wine, and he fell. He fell to, to terrible places. And he had a son, all the, the different negative things that came out of it. And we find this throughout the Torah. So here, Rabbi Nachman, there's a chapter in Likut Imran devoted to the topic of drinking in excess. Chapter 26 in the second half of Likut Imran. Rabbi Nachman begins by saying wine is very important, very holy, and it's forbidden, 100% forbidden for a Jew to drink excessively. There's one exception only, which is Purim, and that applies only to those individuals who know that if they drink to excess, they're not going to say or do anything that they shouldn't say or shouldn't do. 
there are people who lead very religious, holy lives. I have the privilege of living in Eretz Yisrael since 1987, 37 years, Baruch Hashem, living in Eretz Yisrael and celebrating Purim very often in Mea Sharim, in the Breslov Shul in Mea Sharim. All the Breslov Shuls have a custom that Purim morning, we know that the Suda of Purim, the official Suda of Purim is supposed to take place in the afternoon and go into the evening. In addition to that Suda, the custom in just about all the Breslov Shuls is that in the morning, when we read Megillah Sester, <coughs> And, and after the Megillah reading, after everything, there's a Suda in Shul. There's a Suda, there's food, there's music, there's drinking. And many of the people, Rabbi Nachman said, that drinking, getting drunk on Purim is a tremendous elevation for the Neshama. But again, for those who, can, who are positive, that in doing it, they won't. I've seen people get drunk on Purim and cry and you hear words come out of their mouths, words expressing a love for Hashem, a love for their fellow Jew, a love for Torah that you don't hear all year round. Mm -hmm. You know, the Gemara says, Nichnas yayin that wine goes in and secrets come out. It reveals what's inside the person. And if a person is really, really a quality individual, it reveals very high holy things. One of the leaders of Breslov in the previous generation, his name was Rabbi Avram Sternhartz. <clears throat> he was in Eretz Yisrael, he was called Rabbi Avram Kochavlev. He, he lived originally in the Soviet, in Russia. He came out of Russia when he was 73 years old and lived the last 20 years of his life in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim. And he taught many of the leaders of the next generation in Breslov. Many of them were his students. And coming from Russia, many people know that Russian people who experience the Russian cold, they're usually better drinkers. <clears throat> it takes more to get them drunk than it takes a, a person from other places. <clears throat> and he would, he would participate in the Sudan shul, he would go home, and he'd have people visiting him all day, bringing shalach manas, and coming to talk, coming to hear, coming to listen. And with each person that would come in, he would pour a drink whether it was wine, whether it was whiskey, whatever it is, each person. And I spoke to rabbis who were there and said, he just got better. He just got better, was revealing more Torah and deeper and more interesting, didn't lose an iota of concentration, of focus, just got stronger. You saw the mind expanding further and further, getting to higher levels. A person on that, that but again, that's only on Purim, not on Shabbos, not on Simchas Torah, Rab Nassenzal writes in Likut HaLochis that there's become a custom in some shuls 200 years ago that Simchas Torah, part of the way of preparing for Simchas Torah is coming to shul and drinking. And some people getting drunk during his time, they didn't have Kiddush clubs. They didn't do it in the morning, on Shabbos, all, all the other times. But in our generation today, unfortunately, we see that one of the nuclear weapons that the Yitzhahara is using to harm Jews and including religious Jews is, is this item, a mistake in this area of drinking excessively. People, uh, Kiddush clubs, Shabbos morning, before Kiddush, during Kid, during davening, all kind of people leaving davening, leaving the, the Torah reading to, to drink pre-game. Pre and then uh, other people started a new custom that in order to welcome the Shabbos before going to shul Friday evening, uh, a drink or five or seven as a way of welcoming the Shabbos. And, and in most cases, it doesn't have positive results. Most people who do this <coughs> comes to the Friday night meal where the wife worked so hard to prepare the house for Shabbos and to prepare food for to prepare this meal and the kids are dressed and everything. And the husband makes Kiddush and has a couple of drinks. And by the time he gets to the soup, his head is in the plate and there's no Shabbos meal. There's no Shabbos meal. Or Shabbos morning, the Kiddush club during davening, before davening, after davening, and comes to coming home to a Shabbos meal, there's nobody to talk to. And she worked so hard to prepare the food and a person has no idea that that's a major spiritual fall, 
a person is using Shabbos, Rahman al-Islam, to, to take themselves lower, lower than they are during the week, chas So this is something that Rabbi Nachman put tremendous emphasis on, and it's been passed down, passed down throughout the generations, that people that study his teachings know that this is not an option. It's not one of the choices. It doesn't exist at a wedding, at a simcha, a drink, a, a l'chaim, a l'chaim, not two or three. It's not necessary. It doesn't add. It subtracts. The Gemara says, Kol there are certain things that the more you, if you add, you're subtracting. More is less, actually less. So this is an incredibly important point. Now, maybe we'll pause. Any questions? Please. Um, I know that um, it speaks about in, in Shifaron, that had the Rebbe um, broke a lot of his desire. So like one of them I know was eating. So that's what reminded me of it. Um, but isn't Hasidus about harnessing um, the, the titles for Avodah Hashem rather than just breaking them and subjugating? Very good question that we, we hear about, it wasn't only Rabbi Nachman. He's, he was outstanding in this, about this issue of shviras hatayvois, breaking, breaking physical desires, all physical and materialistic desires, and, and overcoming, trying to overcome completely tayvois royce and midois royce, all of these things. So there's a lot to say about this. I'm gonna mention a few points. Rabbi Nachman himself said towards the end of his life over there that he did this, he followed the formula. He didn't originate that. The Arizal speaks about this. Others for him speak about this, that again, because the soul and the body are pulling in opposite directions, you can't have, you can't have them both operating at the same time. There's a Pasuk in Chumash, where it speaks about Yaakov and Yaakov Avinu and Lahavdal Esav HaRasha. And the Torah tells us that these two are on opposite ends of a seesaw. They can't both be on top at the same time. When, when Rome is flourishing, Yerushalayim is down. When Yerushalayim is up, Rome is down. Yaakov and Esav. The body and the soul... In the last shir that Rabbi Nachman gave in his life, the Rosh Hashanah before he passed away, he passed away on Cholamoid Sukkot. And by Rosh Hashanah, he was 90% out of this world. He had, Ramos Nizal came into his room, there was a gigantic basin of blood that he had coughed up from the tuberculosis. And when he asked Ramos Nizal, should I, should, should I give the shir? Ramos Nizal, chas v'shalom. Pikuach, not so, so pikuach nefesh. This could kill you. But he said, but I've been waiting from the beginning of the summer for this. And look, there are so many people here. Rabbi Nachman who cares? Who cares? Your life is... And, and Rabbi Nachman kept going at it. And Rabbi Nachman saw that he really wanted to do this. And he knew Rabbi Nachman knows the halacha. So he set up the chair and said, he said, okay, we're not going to put the chair in the middle of the chair. We'll put the chair right at, at the entrance to your room. So that if chas v'shalom in the middle, anything goes wrong, you can get out of the big room in the second, you know, you're back into your own room. And he began speaking and he spoke for a few hours. And one of the major topics in that shir, he speaks about mezayna de gufa and mezayna de nishmasa, feeding the body and feeding the soul. And the, the, the foods are the exact opposite. The body wants chocolate and cake, and, and the soul wants none of that. I don't want any of that. That's putting sugar in my gas tank, you know. And, and they're both pulling, and Rabbi Nachman writes there that these two are going in opposite directions. And therefore, and therefore, the more, the less a person submits to the body, the more the soul has the ability to climb, to rise. So um, that's, a, that's a fact. That's a truth in, throughout the Torah. You know, all... However, however, Rabbi Nachman said that towards the end, and, and when he was young, he crushed the body. Everywhere he saw, he would swallow the food without chewing it in order not to experience the 
to try to avoid experiencing the taste of the food, foods that he liked. He said he was a child, he liked eating, but he wanted to make sure that he's not, he's not engaging at all in the taiva aspect of it, in the physical pleasure, so as to allow his soul to experience maximum ple- pleasure. And Rabbi Nachman said towards the end of his life, as a result of all of this, he came to the realization that there's a better way, a much better way, which is tefillah. The tefillah prayer can accomplish all the things that shvira satayvis can, can accomplish quicker, better, no side effects, without destroying the body. This Rabbi Nachman writes. And, and Rabbi Nachman spoke to his students about not taking on any extra fasts. Now, the word extra means, doesn't mean other than Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av or the fourth. It means, for example, there's Bahab. There are, besides the standard fast that most Jews are familiar with, there are some additional ones. During the 10 days of tshuva, it's brought that there are people that fast a half a day during Aseris Yemei Tshuva. They try to get to 10 days. There's Bahab. <coughs> there's, there's, what else? Erev Rishchodesh, which are mentioned in Halacha as, cause, as not obligatory, but for those who want, they, Rabbi Nachman said, when a person has an opportunity like that, they should take advantage of it like a sweet cookie. Grab it like you would a cheese that like, you know, something that you really enjoy, meaning it's a privilege. It's a privilege, but just like wine, within certain boundaries, within no excessive, for us, no excessive fasting. And this is a very important point. But what do you mean? The Arizal said, the Arizal writes, 84 fasts for certain sins. In order to atone for certain sins, it requires 84 fasts. And this requires, <clears throat> the answer is what the Arizal said was 100% correct in his generation, in his generation. The Shulchan Aruch says that there's been a weakening. Our bodies are weaker nowadays. And there's a warning to rabbis, a very serious warning to be extremely careful when it comes to a fast day, that if a woman comes and says she's pregnant, or to be extremely careful to try to be makal whenever possible, not to be strict when it comes to fasts or things like that, because generations today are, are weaker than they were in previous times. So both are true. Both are true. There is now one of the great rabbis in Breslov in the previous generation. Rebel Hanan Specter, who was from Poland, a giant before he came to Breslov, was a Dion or a Poisek, an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. And he came to Breslov and he went higher and higher. And he once commented, and he said, because Rabbi Nachman makes stresses, no eating or drinking before davening Shachris. No eating. And even no drinking, Rabbi Nachman said he never drank water even before Shachris. There's a pasuk in the Chumash, don't eat before you pray for your blood, before you pray for your life. And in Halacha, there are levels and levels regarding this. There, there's, there's a level of not eating or drinking anything. The Shulchan Aruch says if a person cannot do that, person is weakened, they can have a drink, but no, they can have coffee, but no milk, no sugar, you know, among the poiskim, different opinions among the different poiskim. Rabbi Nachman followed the Zohar Kodesh in this, the opinion of the Zohar Kodesh there, who said, no eating, you know, don't tell me you're weak, you know, when it, unless a person is ill, it's brought that Rabbi Chaim Vitalza, the closest student of the Arizal, at a certain point in his life was very sick and weak and had to drink in the morning. And there were people that said, oh, look, he's it. And, and I, I don't recall whether he writes or other students write, what are they crazy? They're bringing a proof from him when he was sick at a time like that, that has nothing to do with a person who's in normal health, who should not be eating or drinking at all before davening chakras. And, and again, that's one of the reasons for davening shachris on time, davening shachris within this man Kriyashma, or davening nates, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So this rabbi, Rebbe Chon Inspector, said 
some people will look at this like a, a, a strictness. You know, the Breslov takes a very strict view about this, whereas other other Jews, other Orthodox Jews, and observe, don't aren't as strict in this area. He said, on the contrary, Rabbi Nachman was being soft on us. He wanted us to have the benefit of fasting, because again, the Gemara writes about fasting of all this form that it has an incredible positive effect on elevating the neshama of a person. But he didn't want us to fast the whole. He gave us kindness shows, the Gemara speaks about, that if a person refrains from eating, if a person, many people get up in the morning and I can't do anything before I have my coffee. And some people can't do anything before they have their bagels and lox or their other things. I don't want to say they're cheese this and cheese that. <clears throat> but a person by instructing us not to eat until after davening, every minute that the person is avoiding eating counts as a fast. So we're fasting, we're calculating, we're accumulating hours of fasting by not eating before shachras, not eating, not drinking before shachras. You know, it's, it's, it's a positive element. So I'm a misunderstanding then about like the, the objective is not to elevate, but rather just to break the desires? Question, is it, is it misunderstanding that in order, I mean, there's a tour of that, you know, you can get to a level where you can taste the detoxin of producing the food. Exactly. I'm just going to repeat it so that people who can't hear you because you're a little distance. The question is, is it breaking the desires or is it elevating the desire? You know, the, the answer is it's both. It, it, it's both. Both are important and it's not a contradiction. There's a time for faith on Yom Kippur, on Tisha B'Av, you know, during the nine day, we abstain from meat. That's elevating our soul. That's a form. And I'm going to come to that in, in a moment. That's elevating our soul. It's a tremendous plus. It's taking you, it's bringing you closer to Hashem on Shabbos and Yantif. And when it's not a fest, you know, and when a, or a Sudas mitzvah, anytime, or Pas Shachris, for example, the Gemara and Baba Metziah says that a person should try, and the Shulchan Aruch mentions this, that after davening shachras, before you go to learn, before, have some bread, pass shachras. And the Gemara says that this can save a person from 83 different illnesses. There's a lot written about this. We don't have the time. I'm, I'm touching on it, that there's a, a lot written about this. <clears throat> and and, and uh, so, so, when a person's eating bikdusha, that's, that's accomplishing the same thing and even more so. Rabbi Nachman writes in chapter, in chapter 55 in Likuti Moran, he speaks about fasting. We know that before the Jews, when the Jews would go out to battle, when Amole came and the Jews were going to go out to battle, how did they prepare? By having a good steak breakfast to, they prepared by fasting. When they would go out to battle, to war, they would fast first to show that we're putting our faith not in this, we're putting our faith in this, in Hashem. And again, by submitting, surrendering to Hashem, submitting, subduing the body in order to, to elevate the soul. So Rabbi Nachman writes there that the word, there's a pasuk in Tehillim, v'chatoisi, I believe it's until the chatoisi miponov tsarov. Hashem says, I will slice your enemies from before you. I'll remove your enemies from before you. The first letters of the chatoisi miponov tsarov spell the word tsoin, fasting. That fasting is one of those things that helps eliminate enemies, klipois, sitrach, all of these kind of things. But Rabbi Nezal says, but there's achilas Shabbos, there's eating on Shabbos, which is equal to that and superior to that. Superior to that son. There's a posik, lahashbis oyev umesnakin, to destroy, to annihilate the enemy and take complete revenge against them. Lahashbis milosh Shabbos. Rabbi Nachman writes, Achilas Shabbos is so special, so holy, that one of the things it accomplishes is eliminating enemies, you know, bringing about the downfall of our enemies. So here again, you need, we need both. During the weekdays, less is more. 
less is more, less eating, less finicky about less what I eat. It doesn't matter what I eat during the weekdays. Whatever my wife serves, it's excellent. It's good because it's just a matter of sustaining the body. There's no significance to having this. I like this and I like this more. It, it, during the weekdays, it has, the, the more you suppress that, the more your soul can, can, can climb and fly. Shabbos, I'm shopping for foods that we like, that we enjoy, better quality, better this, because that's a tremendous elevation for the neshama. And Rabbi Nachman uses incredibly powerful wording, Veda, and you should know, She'ikr Kvoid Shabbos. One of the most important ways that we show respect for the Shabbos, Kiho Achila, is the eating, the meals on Shabbos. As the Pesach says, mm-hmm. eat today. Eating on Shabbos is very precious. It's not physical. It's not. It's complete spirituality, complete holiness. The Kimavur, as it says, as he mentions previously in chapter 57, and therefore it's a major mitzvah that the meals on Shabbos should be different than the weekdays. During the weekdays, less indulgence, less time, less focusing on food is an elevation to the person. On Shabbos, another course, better food, more, more enjoying the food is all. And this is one of the ways that a person repairs any desecration of the Shabbos that the person might have done throughout their life, knowingly, unknowingly. Now listen to these words. It's just about impossible for a Jew to avoid desecrating the Shabbos. The Mishnevruah writes in the introduction to the Shabbos that unless a person has studied these laws 70 times, it's very likely that they're making mistakes because the laws of Shabbos are very complex and very, it, it's not easy. It's very easy for a person, for a person to make a mistake and end up desecrating the Shabbos. And the way that a person repairs this is by giving special significance to the eating on Shabbos. Now here again, there's an expression that's, that's I've heard it from some people, man boch platzt. In, in French, that means my stomach is bursting. There are people that misinterpret this or that they, they, they never read this. And they think it means that on Shabbos, you're supposed to eat till it hurts. That's not what it means. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that those people who follow the rules during the weekdays and they don't finish their plate and they never eat to 100% fullness. The Rambam says to leave the table when you're three quarters full, never to to fill up the tank to full. Uh, Those people on Shabbos should add more than that. But again, never going crossing a line where the person, the meal takes them straight into bed. They can't do anything other than fall into their bed because they have no energy. Food is supposed to energize you. The Benish Chai writes that a person learns on Shabbos, if a person learns one hour on Shabbos, it's like a thousand hours of learning during the weekdays. And so to every mitzvah that you do on Shabbos is a thousand times as effective. You don't want to spend Shabbos day in bed. You're, there's a concept of Shana B'Shabbos Tainug that people who devote, people who during the weekdays are up late studying Torah and the, you know, so on Shabbos, they're allowed to take it a little easier. They're allowed to, and again, there is a concept that even, there are some people that even though during the weekdays they get up for Nate's Shabbos extra early, Shabbos they'll sleep a little later. Not everyone, but some people. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean crashing. It doesn't mean eating till it hurts, where a person has to sleep 12 hours, you know, in order, and a person loses out on the entire Shabbos afternoon. Shabbos afternoon is the holiest time of the week. We know that 
when it comes to Kedusha, you start from the bottom and you work, you, you climb, you work your way up. Friday night is holy. Shabbos morning is holier. Shabbos afternoon is climax, climax. That's when we say those words, That's a time when a person can achieve the closest connection to Hashem is Shabbos afternoon. A person spending that time under the covers in, in excess, in excess, again, if a person woke up early on Shabbos and, and, and they're tired and they take a nap for an hour or two, depending on the person, everybody, I'm, I'm not saying one rule for each person, each person, but to, to reserve quality time for the family, for Hashem, children, people have children. I remember growing up as a kid, my father worked very, very hard. He was a Holocaust survivor, came to America, didn't know any English. He would leave the house 6.30 in the morning after Shachris, after breakfast, to take two or three buses to go to work. He had to be at work 8 o'clock in the morning as a cutter in a factory cutting clothing. He worked from eight to six, and then he took a subway up to Harlem where he had a small laundromat, and he had to oversee what was going on there and come home typically 11 o'clock at night during the week. Shabbos, Friday night, we went to shul together. There was no such thing as, as not going to, on Shabbos, not going to shul. Shabbos morning, we went to shul, and in our neighborhood, <coughs> the minion started nine o'clock. He made a deal with my sister and I that if we get up eight o'clock, if we're, we're up by eight o'clock, they bought special cake for Shabbos morning and he would learn Kitzer Shulchan Aruch, the basic simple laws of Kitzer Shulchan Aruch with us before you know, Shabbos morning. Then went to Shul Shabbos, came home, had lunch, and I'm hearing the kids, my friends outside playing. You can go play right after I hear what you studied in school. I want to know what you learned this week. I want, and and sometimes as a kid, it hurt a little. You know, I want to go play. I look at it now. That was a responsible parent. One of the reasons why we're in the pickle that we're in today, unfortunately, where so many kids are suffering in so many different ways, is because parents, we parents, don't realize the responsibility that we have to give quality time to our kids. And especially, especially on Shabbos, if we're saying Shabbos is a thousand times, Shabbos packs a thousand times the punch of during the week. Imagine letting the Shabbos go by and I didn't spend any time with my kids hearing what showing interest, showing a genuine interest in what they're studying in school, what they're learning, the Torah that they're learning, this, that. And if I knew what I learned in school, it was great. We finished in an hour or whatever, went out to play. If I didn't know, my father would sit there and break his head to figure it out sometimes and to teach it to me. This is, this is, part, it's, this is part of this package of realizing that Shabbos is huge. Now here again, it comes to the, the different meals on Shabbos. Shabbos, people who overdo on Shabbos morning, people who go to Davin 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock Shabbos morning and finish Davening 12, 1 o'clock. And then there's a Kiddush till 2 o'clock. And then they overeat that. Some people can't do that second meal even. Can't because I, I had too much cholent or too much liquor or too much that and shot. Third meal is out of the question. That's, that's ridiculous. Impo to totally impossible. The Zohar Kodesh has pages and pages emphasizing how important that third meal, each one of the meals is. And the third meal is the climax. It's, it's an incredible deep connection to Hashem. If a person misses out on that, they're missing out on a major piece of Yiddishkeit, a major piece of connecting to Hashem. And then there's a fourth meal. There's the Suda of Dovra Melech, Malava Malka which is also something very significant and special. It does say that if a person can't, then they can. You don't want to, you want to be that person? You want to be the person who can, if the Torah says this is special, this is something that, that could correct any mistakes that I made in desecrating Shabbos. You want to miss out on that? So these are, I'm giving us a taste. There are about 10 or 15 chapters out of the approximately 400 chapters in the Kutumran that focus on food, eating. 
and 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 the the benefits when it's done properly. We said it's like a mizbeach, and, and the, the negative effects if it's done improperly. Chas Any questions? Please. So uh, we're so given that we're created in Hashem's image, what aspects of Hashem correspond to eating for us? I, I mentioned earlier the, the korbonis, the Besamikdash, the holy temple. You, you, again, you'd say a holy temple. What are animals doing there? You bring a cow and a, a, a sheep and a, in, into a holy temple. Isn't that absurd? No, it's not absurd. That's what makes it so holy that we have the ability, like he pointed out earlier, we human beings have the ability to elevate an animal to, and to elevate our animal, our body, to elevate it and make it ishei reach nichoyach l'ashem. The word nichoyach is bigimatria 72, which is one of the highest names of Hashem, the Shemite, that, that kind of thing. We have that ability. When we had a Beis HaMikdash, it was done, there were miracles. You were able to see Hashem in the Beis HaMikdash. How do you see Hashem? There were 10 miracles taking place there. The Mishnah says in Pirkei on a constant basis. Today, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. This is Shulchanoi Shalodan Mechaper Kemizbeach. The table, if it's, if it's done properly, if a person goes, goes into Shabbos with joy and happiness, no screaming, no yelling, no fighting, and appreciating, expressing appreciation for every minute that the wife put into preparing the table, preparing each and every food that's being served. These are all the things that, that rank, you know, crank up the neshama to higher and higher levels. Please. The last year I attended you gave in Highland Park, you talked about Simcha Shal Mitzvah. And one of the things I remember you brought up was people are lacking Simcha Shal Mitzvah, so they want to make up for it with more food, with more alcohol, etc. So how can we take that and increase it and then still be controlled in the eating and doing it in a wholly appropriate way where we still get Simcha out of it? We don't feel like, oh, now I have to limit myself and I'm, and I'm missing out. Good question. We speak about Simcha Shal Mitzvah and how holy Simcha is and and and, and sometimes eating foods and more food, get, it, it's, it, it works if you do it properly. You're filling up your gas tank to your car. Fill it up, fill it up. Some of the cars have warnings on them. Don't over, don't, don't go over. And, and the Torah is full of this. Judaism is based on this. And the whole concept of a tzaddik, the whole concept of a rabbi, when the Torah defines the, the concept that a Jew needs a rabbi, a Jew needs a tzaddik, the way it's presented is don't deviate to the right or to the left of what the rabbis are going to teach you. Meaning Hashem makes it perfectly clear that in this world, there's a right, left, center. Left and right can kill you. Too little or too much can kill you. If you get it sent, if you get the right amount, it's fabulous. If Rabbi Nachman said, Rabbi Nachman who said, he was the champion of Simcha in so many different ways. And if he said, don't you dare have that second or third drink, he understood because it's not, that's not going to give you Simcha. It's, it's fake. There's fake news and there's fake simcha. Look what happens to the guy who gets giddy and he's dancing and the next day crash, he's depressed for a day, for a month or he gets divorced or he, gets to, he goes to jail or he dies or worse, or worse. So th that's the answer. That in simcha, a person needs a teeth. There's holy simcha and there's unholy. The Shavar Kodesh, one of the great rabbis mentions that Yishmoel, Yishmoel had, had, had a wife that was called Mochalas. I'm sorry, Esav married, he was the son-in-law of Yishmoel, a winning combination, Esav and Yishmoel together. And Esav's wife was called Mochalas Bas Yishmoel. So the Shavar Kodesh says, Mochalas is Meloshim Mechoilots. Mechoilots means dancing, dancing. And it says in the future, Hashem is going to make a Mochel for the tzaddikim. Mechoilis is dancing. Dancing can be holy, super holy, and dancing can be a one-way ticket to, 
mixed and improper kind of dancing. So all of these things, you know, the, the excess is, is, is dangerous problem. And that's our test. Our test is to open throttle that here again, not to avoid, not, not, not to drink, to have wine for those that can on Shabbos, to have, but, but to have it in, in a, only in a positive, healthy way. You know, the, the Satan, there's, there's a, a, the Zohar Kodesh reveals a secret. In the Beis HaMikdash, there were the curtains in the Beis HaMikdash. How do you say 12 in Hebrew? Shtemesrei, Shtemesrei is 12. How do you say 11? Uh, that's one of the ways. Ashtei, Ashtei Osor. In the Chumash, it says Ashtei Osor. Shtei Osor is 12. You put an ayin, you add a letter, you add the letter ayin in front, and you're reducing, you're going down. 70 is associated with the 70 nations of the world, the 70 nations of the goyim. The, it represents the sitra achra, you know, that, that negative force, where the, the Zohar Kodesh uses this as an example that you're, you think you're adding, you're subtracting. So here again, Kiddush Club, another bottle, a more expensive and a more expensive, if a person can afford it. And, and even when a person can afford it, to be careful, boundaries, always boundaries. But people who can't afford it and are going out and buying $200 bottles or whatnot because of keeping up with it, because of all kinds of improper reasons, it's not going to have a positive effect. And to see kids, to see teenagers, you know, to go to a religious wedding and to see supposedly religious teenagers going over and not taking a cup, taking a bottle and bringing it to the table and doing the bottle. It's a tragedy. And, and it's, part of, it's part of the darkness that we're experiencing today in exile. With all the lights that we have, the Torah defines us as in a state of hastorah, shabbatol hastorah. You know, this is part of it. Because... Too much light, too much light is blinding. Please. So I have two questions. Um, the first one, um, we discussed the importance sir, of fasting uh, before chakras and the different derivations thereof. Okay, so you can have coffee, but you can't add to it. What about just water? Because this one was explained to me when I was a teenager about not eating because eating, it can make you a little bit more tired and now you focus on food, it takes away from the mission of just dominating chakras. It, it can even cause a person to miss it, as uh, So we're, we're describing here how it's it's actually like a full and proper fast. So where does drinking water when you wake up so that you know you have the energy to dominate properly but not to eat come into play here? Question regarding drinking water before chakras. Is it a plus? Is it a minus? Is it neutral? What is it? In the halach, in, in, the, in the chumash, it says, you know, don't, and the Zohar Kodesh says, no eating, no drink. It's, it's assumed, no eating, no drinking, period. And, and others form right about this. Rabbi Nachman said, I didn't even drink water. I never drank water before davening. For those who can, and sometimes it's a matter of training. A person gets used to something, they get addicted. The term addiction in Judaism is a red line, not just drugs or, or internet, but addicted to anything. They, I have to have my coffee. Person who has to have their coffee is crossing a line. I have to have Hashem. I have to have tefillin. I have to light candles. I don't have to have, I'm not, I'm not, committed i'm not obligated to coffee or anything else nothing else i'm not a servant you know i'm not subservient to anything i don't want anything else controlling me other than hashem and the torah that kind of thing for those who can in breslov i've seen that for those who can they won't even drink water before davening and and they and they daven and they put energy you know and there are those who can't or for those who are used to having coffee and and they take it, they, they take it down a notch and say, I won't have, but just just plain water, it's 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 a very good thing. You know, each person on their level. On their level. Okay. Um, my next question is we, we discussed, you know, we keep saying those who can for drinking wine or having a fire on Shabbos. So let's say a person gets to the point where they're like, you know what, this doesn't serve me in terms of the fact that I might make the wrong decisions from, from drinking. They determine that they're an alcoholic. At what point, if ever, 
should a person consider returning to Yayan Kodesh? Where do we draw the line? Because that's a very dangerous equation. But I mean, it's described that grape juice, it's, it's okay, but it's really preferable to have wine. So is there a point where a person could feel safe in returning? Or is there a point where if you close that door, it really is okay. And if you know that and you think, oh, well, I wish I could have wine, but I don't, I don't trust myself. I trust Hashem, but not myself. Is it really comparable or are you really foregoing something? It's an individual. That's something that I, I wouldn't say without knowing who the person. In most cases, I would say in most cases, a person who had a serious problem with that, by their drinking grape juice, they're getting all the full benefits of wine because for them, the Gemara says that we say to a person who has an issue with this, keep back 2,000 feet from a vineyard. Don't go near a vineyard, period. So it's definitely okay for those people not to touch wine at all unless the person is really, really, really confident that it won't, you know. I remember one of my rabbis smoked, Rabbi Nachman spoke against, during his time, against smoking, no smoking, no smoking. One of my Breslov rabbis who lived in Russia and had a very, very difficult life, he said he smoked in Russia. And at one point he threw it away, cold turkey, threw it away, it was the end. Years later, many years later, he came to the United States on a mission, a very important mission. And, and he took a cigarette and he smoked. And he said to me at the time, you know, that for me, it, it's not an issue. I'm doing it now, you know, but I know I put this away and it will never again control me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know? And sure enough, I never saw years later, I never saw him go near it again. It's, it's more of an individual thing. And when we get to that level where we can be, the, the Gemara warns when it comes to certain areas, the Gemara says when it comes to men and women mixing, boys and girls mixing, no one can feel safe. No one can be positive that the, the Satan won't set them up for failure. So certain certain areas keep back too far, you know, better to play it safe. We find that the Rebbe did have a pipe and he smoked, like, I don't know how often. Good, good, good point. The Baal Shem Tov, there were certain Sadiqim who it was said that they knew they knew how to offer k'toyris. They knew by smoking a pipe, how to tap into the k'toyris in the base of Mikdash. But here again, Rabbi Nachman told his student in Chayim Aran, no smoking, and his students stuck to it. My rabbi, I was privileged to have a rabbi when I first came to Rabbi Rosenfeld, smoked. I feel terrible till today that I didn't ask him why and what and how, I never asked him. And I don't know among all my friends, if any of he got all of his students, all of them who came to him in their 20, you know, late teens, 20s, who were smoking, going to Brooklyn College, smoking. Every one of them stopped smoking when they became a student of his. So he, even though he himself did. Even though he himself did. And I think back at the, you know, like, wow. In a, in a, and I'm sure if he did it, there must have been some reasons, you know, some things. Where Moshe Feinstein was calling him up to, to ask about the halacha questions, I'm sure he was smoking. Exactly. So there are exceptions in, in all kinds of situations. There are exceptions. But for us, people like us, to be careful. Question? It actually goes back to one of the things we said at the very beginning. Now everything in Yiddish is um, that when it comes to Kedusha has a connection to food. So I just have to ask the obvious. Yom Kippur, holiest date on the calendar, mm -hmm. and it's not that they're refraining from food that was commanded. So I who, who can respond to that? Question. Yom Kippur, which in certain respects is the holiest day of the year. No food. If food is so important, are we trying to be like Malachan and they don't eat? Yes. We have Purim to balance it out. Yes. You're close. Think for a minute. You don't have to go as far away as Purim. Erev Yom Kippur. The day before Yom Kippur is one of the most important times to eat. Erev Yom Kippur. 
they say about the Vilna Gon, I believe it's true, that he kept the sucking candy in his mouth throughout the day. He didn't want to stop eating for a moment on Erev Yom Kippur. The Gemara says that a person who eats on Erev Yom Kippur gets credit as if they fasted two days. So everything is a balance. All right, so that's because I, I was gonna, I was thinking, of course, there's the sort of beforehand, but yeah. nevertheless, on Yom Kippur itself, which I mean, and, I mean, first of all, they say that I mean, the halacha is that even before Yom Kippur begins, but after the Surah Mafsekas, we have to do Vidoy again, exactly. or not again, but that counts as the I think the first of ten Vidoy's of the or the second after the Mincha there of Yom Kippur. Yes, so you and, do Vidoy before the Surah for Mincha, and then Vidoy after the Surah, but before Yom Kippur begins, but. So, okay, so I guess the first of 10 vidoys of Yom Kippur is Mincha, the Arab Yom Kippur, and then it's the Surah, so that counts as sort of attached to Yom Kippur itself. Sure, for sure, okay. for sure. Uh, again, we need to know that everything has a time and a place. Everything has a time and a place. There's a time to fast, there's a time to eat, there's a time to cry, there's a time to laugh, a time to dance. And, and the Torah and the tzaddikim are the ones that direct us. The same thing, put on a light. It's such a wonderful thing. Putting a, a room is dark and the kid can't see anything and put on a light. Do it at 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon. It's a mitzvah. Do it 5.15. It's skila, chayv skila. The same exact act. It's time and space, you know, everything and, and, and this is why we have a Torah, and this is why we have tzaddikim, to guide us how to, how to succeed. This narrow bridge, Rabbi Nachman said that the world is a narrow bridge. You want to get across a narrow bridge? Don't lean. Don't lean to the right or left. Stay centered. You'll make it. You'll get through it. Um, what does Rav think about people taking on um, like personal fasts? Uh, people do intermittent fasting. Some people do like Mondays and Thursdays willfully. Mondays and Thursdays is one of the things, again, that's mentioned in the Gemara. It's mentioned in Halacha that there is such a concept. It, the person needs to be careful. It, it requires care. You know, why the person's doing it. And certainly if they are doing it, not to publicize it. You have to, Rabbi Nachman writes, to be extremely careful whenever a person's taking on any extra item in Avodah Hashem. The minute people become aware of it, it loses its effectiveness. And sometimes it can work against the person. So Mondays and there, there is such a thing, intermittent fasting. If a person is overweight, let's say, and they're trying to overcome, they're trying to get rid of the excess weight because they know it's unhealthy physically and spiritually, and they take on such a thing, it, it could be okay, could be okay. But we mentioned Paschachas, for example, which is a very special holy thing. So here, to, there's, a person needs to judge carefully and, and ask a question if they're not sure. Should I do the, should I, should I do the intermittent fasting where I'm missing out on Paschachas? A person that eats Paschachas in the morning, they're making six brachas. A person eats, a, you know, a, a, and four brachas of One of the rabbis once said that this is huge. This is huge. There was a story with, I think, the first Karlina Rebbe that he had, and we'll close with this because we need to dav marav, and it's almost Erev Shabbos. We've got to get ready for Shabbos. <coughs> that he had a, a student who's wealthy, and sometimes wealthy people have some chutzpah, you know, and this student insisted he wants to have a meal with the Rebbe. He wants to, you know, and the Rebbe pushed them off it until he saw Kundur and he said, okay, fine. And they had a meal together, a breakfast together, something like that. And they ate and spoke and everything. And at the end of the meal, this student says to the Rebbe, you know, I want to thank you. I really appreciate this, but I, please don't take this the wrong way. I, I thought that I'd see, you know, incredible differences between your eating, my eating. You know, we, we both eat pretty, we both eat nicely and everything. And the Rebbe smiled and said, you're right. You know, there's a lot of similarities. He said, one difference I'd like to point out. He said, you make a bracha so that you can eat. I eat so that I can make brachas. Both are doing the same thing. Both are making a blessing and eating. One person, their focus 
their thrill, their pleasure is that I can say, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. They realize that each word there, I'm pushing a button, I'm putting a hundred dollar bill into my bank account. And, you know, and that, that's under, you know, that's insulting it compared to how holy it is making a bracha, you know, saying a bracha properly. Birka Samosan, what's written about Birka Samosan, you know, if, if it's done properly. So the focus sometimes, you know, really knowing where we're at. To be continued. I, we touched a little bit on some of the insights that Rabbi Nachman has. For more information, open the books. We have a website, breastlifttorah.com, that has a few thousand shiurim, Baruch Hashem, many on this topic and other topics. I hope you'll indulge. I have some cards here that have my contact information if anybody wants to be in touch. And maybe we could have more. Yeah. Great. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.